Good morning. Um, um, I want to start just by saying um, uh, that I, I, I just have a really big, um, uh, deep uh, gratitude uh, entering into this sangha. Um, yeah, and I don't, I don't know if gratitude is enough or the right word, but um, just like um, I'm kind of like happy and resonating like in my bones and my heart and um, my uh, guts. <laughs> and um, yeah, I don't know, and I, and I feel like um, I don't know if this is the right word, but I just, I just feel. Um, like super lucky. <laughs> um, so just deep appreciation. Um, so we're getting close to the midpoint of our um, fall practice period uh, here at Brooklyn Zen Center. And we have our theme, uh, repose and bliss, engagement and realization. And in his instructions for Zazen, Dogen um, refers to our, our sitting practice as the Dharma gate of repose and bliss. And so this morning I want to kind of continue our conversation of how our repose and bliss uh, Dharma gate, or you know, a gate of um, truth and awakening and engagement and liberation. So I want to uh, bring up a story, a brief event that's in the Pali uh, suttas. And um, this is sometimes called uh, the elephant look. And it's in a sutta called the Parinibbana Sutta. And in this sutta, it's, it's the story of the last days and passing of Shakyamuni Buddha. And at this point in the sutra, he's wandering around and teaching, um, but feeling um, his death is near. And so one day he goes into the city of Vesali to offer, to, to get alms, to receive alms. And as he's leaving the city, uh, it's said that he looked upon Vesali with the elephant's look and then said to Ananda, uh, his close attendant, uh, this Ananda is the last time that the Tathagata will look upon Vesali. And then he said, come, Ananda, let's go uh, to Bandagama. And uh, the commentaries, they uh, tell us that um, when, when Buddhas uh, look back, um, they don't just like, turn their head, they turn their whole body like an elephant. So this is the uh, elephant look. So it's like turning the whole body and facing Vesali with you know, his whole being. And Vesali was a, was a beautiful city. The Buddha visited many times over his life of teaching 
and earlier in the sutta, it actually kind of talks a little bit about like how, how uh, nice the gardens and groves of Vasali are. And so he's saying goodbye, you know. Um, you know goodbye to this um, city and, you know, these gardens and these um, people that he lived with and that touched him, you know, that were part of his life, an intimate part of his life. So to stop, you know, in the middle of my life and turn, and turn, you know, like the way an elephant turns and look, um, you know, speaks to me of like of rest and repose and uh, zazen. interrupting the kind of the forward momentum and fully being here and and of what can happen when I stop and turn and I think I also like this story because the Buddha feels so uh, human um, sometimes the Buddha in the sutras is kind of perfect or superhuman, or perfectly clear, or ungrasping, or you know, just completely awake. And this elephant look you know, still feels awake and clear, but also like human-hearted. And you know, like something of um, love, which they they didn't like to talk about in the suttas. <laughs> and you know, having a heart and uh, grief and loss and being fully open. And so I kind of, I feel kind of invited by the story to kind of imagine or feel uh, the Buddha's uh, human heartedness or the human heartedness of awakening. And, um, and maybe the suttas couldn't really talk about what was happening in the Buddha's heart directly. So this is like a, like, uh, especially like this elephant look is like this like hint. Um, uh, you know, sometimes the teachings emphasize non-attachment, you know, non-grasping, non-clinging. And, um, and you know, letting go. And there's something about this that I feel like kind of is sort of balancing that out and kind of like um, like a non-detachment. You know, it's like non-attachment is not disconnection or detachment. Th those detachment and disconnection are actually other forms of attachment. And so non-detachment and creating a, you know, still with non-grasping, you know, a bigger space for love or connection. And, and I think um, this for me has been like a really huge part of what um, my life of practice has been about is like responding to like 
a request to love, uh, love more deeply, more fully, more inclusively. And so non-attachment, non-grasping, they, they, they are illuminating you know, something vital and deep about love. How love happens as a force of awakening. And I also want to kind of honor that love is a force of connection. And um, you know, I, I sometimes I just feel like, my, you know, at least my thinking is just maybe not well suited for this. <laughs> um, uh, there's a term, the term yoga, in Buddhism, in Indian Buddhist teachings, the most basic meaning is like um, joining or attaching or harnessing. And it, it might be uh, related to the English word yoke. So yoga can mean bringing together or connecting or union. And it can be used as a positive image of practice, like cultivation, realization. And it can, yoga is also used as to refer to fetters, attachments, you know, things that keep us sunk in suffering. So this, this like the word like connection, attachment, yoga, um, it just, you know, or bond has these kind of sides to it. You know. um, Suzuki Roshi said, Without attachment, you cannot love anyone. Um, but still, you have to love someone. So then what will be your love? Um, and there's a poem by uh, the Japanese poet and Pure Land Buddhist, uh, Kobayashi Isa. Um, he wrote this around 200 years ago. Uh, the world of do is the world of do. And yet. And yet. And so Isa uh, married when he was 49 years old, and his firstborn child uh, died so shortly after birth. And a few years later, they had a daughter who also died. And I feel like I feel like Isa doing the elephant look, you know, in this poem uh, on the loss of his children. And the world of do is the world of do, and yet, and yet, and so there is some. Um, the world of do is the world of do is you know, like, like thusness, or we live in a world of impermanence and it's you know it's this deep truth and we're working hard to like you know assimilate this truth or integrate this truth receive this truth um, and it's like a, a liberating <laughs> truth Bless you. and you know trying to deal with the issue of my own death was this big thing that brought me to practice and you know, through practice. 
Um, so it's, you know, I feel that death has also been very close to me. And no matter how clearly I understand the truth of impermanence, or you know, how, no matter how clearly I see and know and appreciate the world of do as the world of do, you know, like and yet, you know. And so Isa just he it just opens up this big space, or or um, two big spaces. A uh, big space of grief, filled with grief, filled with his heart and his love. So the world of do is the world of do, and it's um, it can be really um, heartbreaking. And my heart is made, you know, deeper and more whole, you know, through living through this brokenheartedness. Um, Tangan Harada Roshi was a Zen teacher. He passed away a few years ago. Uh, he was asked, is the world really perfect just as it is with so much suffering? And he replied, uh, yes. And, it, and as he said this, there were um, tears in his eyes. So all my seeing and knowing and understanding um, don't really alleviate my grief, um, my loss, uh, my suffering, my, you know, my homes that are gone, my dear ones who are suffering. And, and yet is like, you know, this uh, pivot from like um, a teaching, a truth, you know, a dharma um, to, you know, my heart. And it's not really either or, like a, it's like a both and, you know, so like perfect truth, imperfect me, or um, truth of thusness and you know, truth of suffering. Um, I, don't, I don't know how this came to be, but you know, we say this, an, uh, an elephant never forgets. And actually, I once saw, uh, Sarah and I once saw a video where these, um, I don't really remember that much about it, except this is like all that I remember about it, was these two elephants had been separated for a really long time, like years and years, like maybe 10 or 15 years. And then like, um, and then they're put on the same reserve together and, and like from really far away, they see each other and just, they were just super happy. And they're just like running towards each other and then big joyful elephant bodies. And, and then I also heard that elephants have a really long grief process. It's a massive bodies and big hearts, deep, long grief process. Um, you know, and grief happens in its, in its own way. Um, I was recently asked, um, 
Do you know when you're done with grief? <laughs> um, and uh, I think actually the, the kind of maybe the answer is when it doesn't show up anymore. But, um, you know, how are we going to know that? And I, I don't know even, I don't necessarily, I don't know if we should even value, you know, being done with grief. Like, grief is love, and, you know, and all of love is, it is intertwined with loss. And, you know, when I'm really open with my grief, it hurts. Um, but I, it's a, when my heart is really open, it's like, it's a blissful achiness. So grief happening in its own way. So how uh, do I trust that? Or how do I rest in that? Um, it's a Buddha turning his body like an elephant. Um, is not being led by the head or the eyes, but being led by the, the whole body and the whole heart. You know. So where is my body leading me? Where is my heart uh, leading me? And this like a break in the flow of life or you know, an interruption in this momentum of my life, uh, of my karma, my agendas, my lists of things to do. And it, you know, it takes time to turn the whole body around. And there's um, repose in this. There's repose in being led by the time of the body. And um, I feel like it's an embodied image of this, this, another teaching from Dogen's Instructions for Zazen, to turn the light around and illuminate the self. You know, and so, I could hear that in a really like um, up here kind of way, you know. So the body uh, leading me to rest, uh, the heart, you know, leading me uh, to grief, uh, sorrow, uh, vulnerability and an embodied process, a somatic process um, of feeling and uh, thoroughly uh, feeling and you know, feeling into uh, constriction, feeling into how I'm trying to hold or contain or uh, make my, my grief or my fear, or my sorrow or anger or pain um, small. And, you know, uh, breathing into it, I find it really uh, helpful to just breathe, breathe in with my feeling. Or I think there's a, a slogan, like, let awareness ride the breath. And something about a big, tremendous, like, elephant body, 
um, speaks to me of the kind of the expansiveness of embodied practice. And like my resistance and my constriction to my grief and pain and fear and yearning, you know, can make my body, um, trying to make my body or my embodied experience small or contained, and then opening and letting, letting this just be really big and not like, not even, you know, confined by the edges of this body. So like the elephant look, a big, a whole-bodied um, presence. Um, Sarah reminded me of a poem uh, she wrote in 1999. And in this poem, it's about elephants. Um, she wrote, and this was the year we fell in love, <laughs> uh, not because of any one thing. We've come down into quiet, patient bodies, patient as elephants, who, now, who know now to take their time. And so elephants and like, uh, and like a bearing of total presence. Um, you know, the, the forward momentum or the, the leaning forward of my life, one thing after another, can function as a kind of like insulation. Mm-hmm. Insulating myself from my loss, my grief, insulating myself from the loss, the suffering, the pain of others, you know, the injustice all around me, cities of suffering, states of suffering, countries of suffering. And so part of this Dharma gate of rest and repose is building a capacity for grief, which is also, you know, a capacity for engagement, uh, for living in deep connection, in, in uh, genuine, like, relationality. And so I feel a deep heart longing you know, for a life of uh, actualized relationship. And, you know, sometimes um, we say, like, the heart of my seeking is awakened nature. Like there's this, there is this uh, ungraspable truth that I am, and it's and there's this all this knowing that can never get that truth, and then my seeking is that you know is this this heart wanting like come on, try, let's actualize our liberation. Um, please, <laughs> because this feels awful to live in this world of the known and the separate and the isolation. And actually, and then, but this, the known and the grasping 
I think part of the energy of all of, our, of this grasping is actually coming from that, this yearning that just like it's misinterpreted, it's kind of confused, it's been um, this misguided response to this deep urge for a connection into like getting things. Finding the perfect partner, or maybe uh, becoming famous, or like, um, you know, being just being loved by a ton of people. Maybe that would do it. Or um, you know, being the one, like um, uh, Neo in the Matrix, <laughs> or or Harry Potter, or um, uh, you know, all these people. Miles Morales. Or and I think, you know, so that yearning makes sense because, um, you know, you are um, the one. But it's just not in this kind of graspable way. <laughs> so it doesn't make for good cinema. Um, <laughs> but it's, um, but the Sangha, treasure as a community where we collectively uh, honor how each of us is the one. Um, our little family, Sarah, Loka, and I, we all had a cold this week. And um, uh, and. Uh, Sometimes I could take breaks, <laughs> and I felt this resonance with the elephant look when I can uh, stop and give Sarah or give um, our son um, my full undivided attention. And, and I can also feel like how much he needs that, you know, how nourished he is by you know, full attention. And this week, Loka was doing a pretty good job of resting. And so basically, whenever I wanted to have a break, I could just go and snuggle with Loka in bed. And you know, we're all kind of dealing with this like, discomfort. But it was like um, amazingly sweet, you know, just to have these moments of rest and connection. And, you know, and devoted, you know, being devoted to connection. And you know, being led by the body to rest and connection. Um, I feel like um, zazen is not uh, an escape. And then and extending zazen into my life is not taking something that's a kind of an escape and bringing this escape into my stress. Or it's not like some way of not being bothered by stuff. And then I'll bring this not being bothered by thing I get and in sitting into the places where I'm all bothered. Uh, so when I sit, um, this dharma gate of repose and bliss, like just welcoming, inviting uh, all the stuff that's bothering me. 
all the unresolved stuff of my life to like fill zazen. And the more deeply I can allow this stuff in, um, then I feel zazen, you know, or wholehearted presence coming into my life. When I, when I turn out the lights at night, um, no matter how tired I am, I almost never just fall asleep. So various things happen. <laughs> and one of those things is um, I will try to remember uh, everyone I encountered in that day. I mean, it, it's, I can't remember everybody, of course, but um, especially here. Um, but just whatever left enough residue to come back and positive or negative you know, or pleasant or painful and you know see if I can remember a face and what was on that face and invite my heart you know to open to each person and then I find the next day when I'm moving around you know, with a lot of um, momentum or with, you know, direction, like getting things done, um, you know, I'm, I'm more open. I'm more open to, you know, the pain and the suffering or the joy, you know, that are in people's uh, faces and in their lives. Um, a few days ago, Loco heard a snippet of a pop song, and he asked, oh, what's, what song is that? And so I found it, and we listened to it. It was um, a Rihanna song with um, a repeated refrain, um, we found love in a hopeless place. And that, you know, and there's like a lot of ways to hear that, those words, which might be part of why it's like so popular, right? Um, and I thought, well, probably, like, you know, like my resonance with this is, a different idea of love and I don't really feel like a hopeless place but like a place of deep suffering um, in the pain you know of loss uh, it can be tempting to turn away from love or to give up on love and connection So finding the willingness and courage and capacity to be with a lot of grief and loss and pain is part of a path of love. And I don't know where, but I think Suzuki Roshi once said something like, to actually love everyone takes 30 years of practice. And, you know, and the Dharma gate of repose and bliss to, you know, sustain me on this kind of long, hard practice path. Um, so right now, I'm, we're having a class on Zen ritual life. And the big theme of that class, at least for me, is embodiment. And, you know, this, this elephant look really speaks to me of like ritual embodiment. Zazen embodied, bowing, um, you know, just how, and just be, being a body.
allowing uh, my life to uh, catch up with me. Being devoted to allowing my life to catch up with me. Um, To allow my grief to catch up with me. To allow um, the grief of my my ancestral and cultural lineages to catch up with me. And um, elephants, uh, something about elephant bodies, teaching us how to do ritual. In the introduction to Zenju Earthland Manuel's book, The Shamanic Bones of Zen, Paula Rai writes that elephants are shamanic beings. And um, part of this also, I think, is a different sense of time. And so this has also come up in the ritual class. So like, in ritual, like, we're invited to surrender to like, a different sense of time. And it's not driven by getting things done, um, but a sense of time dedicated to you know, full presence. And like, you know, devotion is um, unhurried. You know, so being led by the body, uh, led by the heart, uh, led by the breath, Um, by feeling, um, you know, by uh, relationship, or uh, you know, communal process, or you know, how we arrive here completely. Um, in the in the kind of busy current of my life, I'm I'm working with time. It's like this limited resource. Like, how much time is this going to take? How much time? do I have? Like, what's next? And when I'm being driven by my productivity and by an agenda, I'm directing my activity and attention and movement to these very, these defined, discrete purposes, you know, the things on my checklist. And so it's some known thing that's like getting all the attention all my senses and awareness and thinking, funneling to this graspable accomplishment. And then getting it done, you know, check off the next thing, you know, getting somewhere on time, you know, getting home, you know, doing things. And I feel like this Dharma gate of rest and repose is like about the unfunneled uh, life. Uh, Sarah and I went to see um, Trisha Hersey speak about a week ago on her new book called um, Rest is Resistance, a Manifesto. And her work was one of the root inspirations for the practice period theme. And she talks about rest as a generative place of freedom and resistance. And she also talked about never buying into anything that does not honor uh, that we are divine beings. 
and um, just a few quotes from her book, Rest Makes Us More Human. It is a full unraveling from the grips of our toxic understanding of our self-worth as divine human beings. And we'll be including more in, uh, from Trisha Hersey in a, one of the upcoming practice period emails. Um, so this Dharma gate of repose and bliss, like opening to the, like the the uncontrolled life, the unplanned for fullness, the undefined fullness of, of this moment um, together. So like all, that, all the stuff I filter out when I'm funneling myself is actually like my spiritual life passing me by, or me passing it by. You know, so cut off from the complexity and the wholeness, you know, which is, it, it can be inconvenient or, you know, not conducive to getting things done. But it's the fullness of my life. It's my integrity. Like the elephant look is um, integrating. And welcoming all the leftovers of my life to be, like, you know, metabolized. And I, th I think this is not to say that we need to get rid of agendas and checklists and defenses and momentum. Um, they can be kind of practical, uh, but not be bound by them or bound in them. And, and have a sense of choicefulness with them and a spaciousness inside you know, the momentum. And so to feel to feel the funneling or, you know, to feel the speed or the momentum, uh, the defenses, the contraction, um, to feel them, feel into them. And, you know, without, without trying to get rid of, rid of that part of our life, feeling and seeing, is there some spaciousness here? Is there some space to move a little? Is there some space to open to what's actually happening around me in this moment while I'm moving really fast? To be in, in relationship. And you know, we need to breathe like in and out. And so we're always, that's always the dynamic of our life. Not always breathing in, not always breathing out. So being able to stop you know, and move forward, you know, sometimes walking at a New York pace and sometimes doing like the elephant look and allowing for interplay and intertwining, you know, so that slowing down and widening out and, you know, opening my space, opening some space in my funnel for, you know, something of, uh, you know, my, the heart of my, the life of my heart, you know, of compassion, you know, to um, manifest in the midst of like all the, all the urgent currents of, of 
what I'm trying to get done. And so grief, um, also, you know, a process of letting go. And letting go of how I try to manage my grief. That the letting go is, uh, is not disconnecting. And so I come through grief more connected. More connected to my past selves, my loved ones, my ancestors, histories, uh, lineages. And you know, and what this and this can open into new things, new conversations, and allowing myself to enter like uh, bigger spaces. So quietly uh, explore, or endlessly feel and inquire or um, inquire like an elephant, a deep, slow, thorough uh, investigation, or you know, like a, a big, profound body of, of actual looking. All right. Thank you very much. May our intention equally penetrate every... Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.